on the couch, I'm revisiting an interview that I did in 2019 with the lovely and amazing Sam. Sam very kindly came onto the podcast because she wanted to raise awareness of postnatal depression and she very bravely and openly shared her story. I should mention that this was not a therapy session, this was a discussion between two women hoping to raise awareness of this very, very important condition. And also I want to mention that there is a trigger warning here in that there are um, points in the in the interview and discussion around suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. I hope that for those of you that have had a child gone through this or perhaps you're going through this now, that you can seek help and that you know that you are not alone. Postnatal depression affects so many women and I hope that each of you will get something from this discussion. On Head Talk, we're discussing the topic of postnatal depression. Now, many mothers, after their first child and indeed subsequent children, can have something that we know as the baby blues. And that's very normal. It's a very normal hormonal reaction to giving birth. And these symptoms usually disappear after a couple of weeks or a few weeks. But something called postnatal depression is when these feelings don't go away and they in fact become increasingly more difficult to manage. Now we estimate that around 30 to 80% of women have baby blues and around 9 to 21% of women go on to develop postnatal depression. Now, it's often something that is very, very uh, hidden, kept behind closed doors because mothers really fear judgment and they also fear that maybe their child's going to be taken away from them. And so it's a really, really serious and difficult type of depression to manage for the person going through it. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by the lovely Sam, who, like me, feels very strongly about talking openly and and honestly about postnatal depression and she's going to share with us very openly today her journey with her first baby and how she did develop postnatal depression how that came about and what happened Sam thank Hello. you so much for coming to talk about postnatal depression that in itself yes. is something that we don't do do we no not at all no and uh, through my work, you find so many people that just yeah. say, I didn't talk about it till years later. Exactly. Or I wanted to, but I didn't know who. Yeah. Um, so all these things yeah, we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I want to go right back, if that's okay. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, to when you first thought you'd even have a family. Did you yeah. always think you'd have children? Yes, I always thought I had children. I come from a big family. Um, we always had lots of people around and, and you know, big family gatherings, so I just always thought I would have a family. It was a natural yeah, thing. Yeah, definitely. And did you have any anxieties about that, or was it just, no, I'm going to have a family? Yeah, no, not at all. I was thinking, yeah, you know, everyone in my family, you know, loves babies and loves children, yeah. and I, I've always loved children. I always knew I wanted to, you know, work with children. So I just thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be lovely. I'm going to really enjoy it. And you work with children as well. Yes, I do, yeah. I do, yeah. So it's a natural thing? Absolutely, yeah, totally natural. I thought it was something that everybody just fell into and got on with. So you, so this happens, you <laughs> yes. think now's the time in our life, we're going to yes. have, have a child. And was that an easy process? Did it happen easily for you? No, it didn't actually. It was a, a few years, I think. Um, we got married quite young 
but we knew we didn't want to have a family straight away. But when we did decide we wanted to, uh, we just thought, oh, yeah, it'd be quite easy and we'll, we'll get pregnant and be fine. But it was probably two to three years um, before before we got pregnant with our with our first. Okay. Yeah. Was that stressful in itself? Um, not too bad. I didn't really overthink it. I just thought, oh, well, I'm still young. It will happen when it happens. Um, it was funnily enough just when a, a friend rang to say she was pregnant and I, I thought, oh gosh, this is starting to mm. feel a bit pressured because I, I felt quite upset that she was and I wasn't. And I thought, oh gosh, maybe I am thinking a bit more about it than I thought. Yes. Um, but no, it, in the end it did happen and it was, it was fine. There is that pressure, isn't there, to it's the thing a woman should be able to do. Absolutely, yeah, completely. Is have a child. Yeah, definitely. But I had, you know, I had a history with a family who had struggled to have mm. children, so I knew it didn't always happen, mm. you know, for everybody. And I think that's why I was quite relaxed, thinking, oh, well, you know, it can be a journey for people in a different ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's not a given, and I think no, sometimes when we're young and naive, yes. it's like, oh, we have a family, yeah, exactly. four, you know, two children, yes. that's it. So, so eventually happened and what was your pregnancy like with this first baby yeah very easy had a lovely pregnancy um i enjoyed being pregnant i, w I did have some um quite bad uh, nausea in the first few months but that's quite normal and then i was very healthy uh, it was all quite smooth sailing didn't really have any concerns um and then we got to our due date and uh nothing was happening <laughs> um and um in the end it she was quite overdue how overdue was she? Can you remember? Yeah, she was over 10 days. She didn't want to come out? No, she really didn't want to come out. And in fact, I had to be induced then. Oh, which is, it's never the start we want. Not at all, it? no. And I, I do think that was the start of a process mm -hmm. where where things perhaps didn't go as, as you expect them to. Mm -hmm. And that starts to build up some things in you that you think, oh gosh, why did yes. that happen? It's right, the start of a process because you, you have this idealistic view, exactly. don't we? Exactly. You know, a happy family, then we get pregnant, yes. then the birth, we're going to have a water birth or whatever we're exactly. going to have. Exactly, yeah, it's all going to be lovely. And, and, it, and it turns out differently. So let's talk about the birth then. So you were induced. I was. And yeah. then what was the time scale? So I went into the hospital in the evening, as is normal when you're being induced. Um, and then in the morning, I had um, the. Um, uh, pessary so they get everything started and nothing really happened then they gave me another one and then things were sort of slowly happening but they weren't very happy about it so they took me down to the birthing unit and they broke my waters and unfortunately what happened then was everything came all at once oh the rush the rush of pain the rush of everything and I was panicking then, thinking, gosh, I've gone from naught to 100 mm. in terms of pain straight away. Um, and it all felt very um, out of my sort of control, really. Because like everybody, you have a birth plan and you're going to yeah. not use any uh, medicines yes. or drugs or anything like yes. that. Anyway, so I did ask for some uh, gas and air then, which I had. I wanted to use the birthing ball, but they wouldn't let me at that point. So uh, I was thinking, okay, I'm not really coping very well with this. And then um, it got quite bad, the pain. So I, even though I had categorically said I did not want to use pethidine, mm. I was desperate. Yeah, and, I, and I did have pethidine. That turned out to be quite a bad, uh, I had quite a bad reaction to that. 
And I can remember saying to my husband in the room, I just want to die. I just want to die. I don't want this baby. I just want to die. Oh, and it was yeah. right there. And it was really scary for him, obviously, because he was thinking, gosh, what, who is this person yes. and what's happening? Um, and so and so I did have a very bad reaction to that. And then that didn't really work. I just had these very dark emotions and dark thoughts from the, from the pethidin. And so then I ended up having an epidural because uh, the pain wasn't getting any better and um, the epidural was great obviously took the pain away mm. but every it stopped everything oh. so the birth just completely the, the contractions stopped everything stopped so all in all it was about 36 hours wow from, from, Sam. yes that's a long time isn't it um, and the other thing which is very interesting when you're induced is your family all know that yes. you've gone into hospital. So the expectation. So they're waiting for that phone call, that everything's fine, and, oh, yes, we've got a lovely baby. Mm. And it's hours and hours. And hours. See, I wouldn't let my husband leave me because I didn't. I was frightened. Yes. So you can't let them know what's happening. So that was the other side. I didn't know that at the time, but obviously I've since found out. Yeah. And, yes, and eventually um, things did get moving again in the morning, which was over 24 hours, obviously, later. And um, and then she wasn't coming. She just wasn't going to come out. Uh, so in the end, I had a Vontus delivery. So they've been pushing, pull, pull, pushing, trying to pushing, deliver, trying to deliver for hours. Well, four or five hours, which isn't very long in terms. But when you've already exhausted oh. from the night and the day, yes. that's a lot. And then they said no, she's not going to come out. So we, they got a Vontus and they pulled her out. And they had to cut me as well. So you so, had a episiotomy, exactly. And when she came out, obviously I was lying flat because because of the Vontus. Mm. I couldn't see her, but um, my husband has told me that she was not breathing. And what had happened, in effect, was she was stuck. The cord was round her neck. Oh. So that's why she couldn't come down the birth so, canal. So all your efforts, yes. it wasn't your fault. Not at all, no. Because what's interesting, even now, and I'm picking up yeah. on, the sense of failure that's Absolutely. going on definitely in the process. Like, yeah. I can't get this baby out. Yeah. And exactly. it wasn't your fault. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But but I think, again, where there's such a... And I don't know whether we've moved on in this, but certainly when I was having her... Uh, there was a big drive to we want natural birth yes. we want everything to be as unintrusive as possible and so you've been told all these messages and then suddenly when it's not going to plan or not working out and there were good reasons why it wasn't um you feel like oh gosh perhaps you know perhaps this is have an impact on her or me or and you're getting all these messages yes exactly Subliminally, really yes um, but you're feeling them very much from the medical staff from from everybody around you really. you're absorbing that message yes. as you say you about are. the expectation definitely of childbirth or whatever completely and you you know you went through two phases of it you yep things are going, the rush, yes. the feelings, the pain, then exactly. nothing. Yes, So, much. you know, psychologically, this is the bit people don't realise, it's not just the physical... No, not at all, no. The psycho psychological journey yeah. was, wow. Yeah, definitely. Big highs and big lows, quite quickly. Quite quickly in that yeah. period of time. Yeah, definitely. So, did you stay in hospital? What happened next? She was yes. born, she, she wasn't was... breathing. No, so they got her breathing quite quickly. She, They did all their massage, they have a, had everybody ready there. They were excellent, they, you know, got her breathing quite quickly which was lovely and then we held her and all fine and then um we went up to the maternity ward in a relatively normal period of time nothing untoward happened after that and then um 
she wouldn't latch on very well. She wouldn't feed very well. And they were quite, as I think is important, they were quite insistent that she had that first thick milk mm. that you, you really need. Um, and so in the end, we had to um, express that and give that to her with the syringe and all sorts of things. Um, they kept me in for three or four days because they wanted to try and establish the her feeding. feeding. But um, what happened with that was when my husband had to leave at 10 o'clock at night to go home, because obviously the ward is shutting for the evening, I then felt very isolated mm. and I felt very alone. And I was already feeling quite panicky, I think, because yes. she wasn't feeding and I, I didn't know what was going on, um, that, that I felt very alone. The anxiety was there. Yeah, there was a huge sense of anxiety. Because when you're in that ward, it's, it's okay for a short period of time, but of course, you're constantly feeling like, oh, my baby's awake now, their yeah. baby's asleep. But when your baby's asleep and you think we're going to get some rest, other babies are crying. Yes, there's no is, rest. There's no rest. And so, of course, when you're a new mum and what you need is to be looked after and rested, you don't really get that good no. quality rest. No. And nurses are very busy, they do a fantastic job. But, you know, when you're feeling alone and panicky, you haven't got somebody there just to reassure you and say it's all right. Exactly, because the, the anxiety yeah. of even hearing a baby cry, yes. even if it's not your own baby. Definitely. And then when your baby's quiet, you're, you're also worried about the babies, the baby breathing. Yes, that's right. What I get told. So you're in there, you're feeling very vulnerable, your husband's gone off and yeah. he comes back in the morning, I oh, imagine. Oh, yes, always, yes. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, thank goodness. Yes. And then you're in for a few days. A few days. So then we come to the point of going home. Yeah, definitely. What happened? Um, so we went home and I was just so relieved to be able to go home, no matter what had what, I, what it was going to be like. It had to be better than the hospital, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> At least I had support. Mm -hmm. And my mum was staying with us as well. So I had my husband, I had my mum, I was thinking, it's OK, there's lots of people here to, to help. Um, and they were a great help. Um, well, I felt they were to me. I've obviously, on reflection, realised that having my mum staying was actually quite hard for my husband. Um, because because that's another pressure for him. He's worried about the baby, he's worried about me, and then, of course, he's got to look after my mum. after your mum too. Exactly. But anyway, I needed her, so he, he, he was... We're, we're happy, fine, we can do it. Um, but the feeding still wasn't going very well, if I'm honest. I was expressing a lot because I wanted her to have my milk, and I was very lucky I could produce a lot of milk, but she couldn't latch on. And she was desperate, desperate. She was really hungry. She was becoming frustrated. Frustrated. Definitely she was. And it's a two-way process, it Sam. Is, it you're, is. You're picking up on her anxiety. Yes, very And much. she's picking up on your anxiety. Yeah. And you're both fractious. Absolutely. Desperately trying. Desperately trying. Oh. And then on top of that, what happened was because I'd had the episiotomy, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't sit. Yes. So, again, that's another thing. When you're trying to feed, if you can't feel comfortable and relaxed, mm -hmm. it's, again, another reason why you can't get that connection. Yes. Because, actually, pain is a huge part of your sort of sensory overload. And all I could focus on was the pain. Yes, there's no pleasure there. There's no pleasure there at all. And my lovely... Um, the. the it wasn't a health visitor there, I forget what they called them, but the lovely lady who was coming out to me, she was showing me lying, feeding, and all sorts of things. She was being ever so helpful. But the truth was, it wasn't working. Yeah. 
And, and actually what I probably needed to be told was, let's just go to formula. But of course they don't say that. Oh Sam, how many times, you know, I wanted the same sentence to be totally. said to me. Just give them a bottle. Yes. And it doesn't come. It doesn't come. And you don't feel you can say, I mean, was it going through your mind, I want yeah. to bottle feed this baby? Yes, it was, very much. Because she, she was already having bottles because of the expressing. Yes, yes. I knew she was happy. Yeah. And she, as soon as she had a bottle, she was content. She was, you know, she really was hungrily feeding. I knew she, she needed it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I knew she would be happy on the bottle. But, but I guess they want you to persevere. Do you think your instinct was kicking in at yeah, that point? Yeah, I do, I do. I think I, I knew that um, it wasn't for lack of trying, it wasn't for want, not wanting it to work, it wasn't laziness, it was none of those things. It was a genuine mismatch. It's not working. It's not working. Two minutes, you know, a minute ago you said it wasn't working. No, it wasn't. It, you, and you knew that as a mother. I but, did. But as a new mother, it's what I come across in my work. Yeah. There's the doubt. No, the professionals will know. Yes. I better just keep going with this. Yeah, absolutely. And we went to the clinic at Stoke and we, you know, we wanted to get the best advice we could with the breastfeeding clinic. Yeah. And, and, and again, we got lots of good tips and advice and we tried them out. Um, but, but to no avail. It just didn't work. So where was your mood, Sam? Because... I'm trying to take myself yeah. back there too, and yes. I, you know, I'm almost going back there with you. <laughs> yeah. What was your mood? What, what was that inner voice saying? Uh, the inner voice was just saying, you're rubbish at this. You're not meant to be a mum. You, everything's gone wrong. From the minute the birth didn't happen, or the, the, the you know, she didn't, I didn't go into labour, mm. I, I could hear the catalogue of this not right, this not right, you couldn't do this, your body won't do this, you can't do this. It was just like a shopping list oh, of failures. failures. It really was, and it was constant. Every time, because of course, very small babies feed regularly. Yes. So that failure message is being reinforced every three hours. That's so true. It's you know because you're thinking, and and because of of the feeding situation, she was crying and crying and crying. The torturous crying. The torturous crying, mm -hmm. and nothing would placate her. Not you know walking or swaddling or whatever you did. And the truth is, it was because she was starving, hungry. Mm. And that, no, looking back, oh. I know that, but when you're in it, you think, well, she's been fed. Yes. She's had the nappy change. She's, she's been, had a sleep. Yes, I can't settle it. I I'm doing something wrong here. Definitely. I felt that. I felt very, and I can remember saying to my mum, only you can do it. She's, she will only settle for you. And my mum was brilliant, and she did. But of course, there's, a, there's that emotional thing, which you talked about before, about they can feel your tension and my mum didn't have that she she was just calm and lovely and she loved her and and, and i didn't feel that love not at that time and again that's another failure message isn't it because we're told you have this rush of emotion yes, yes. i didn't have that i never had that i'm glad you've brought that up because working with women in postnatal depression, yes. one of the things they say is, and they cry even when yeah. they're reflecting on it, yeah, I didn't feel the love. Not at all. And I felt like, not just a failure, but I felt like a bad person. Yes, that definitely. I didn't, I didn't feel the love. No, completely. And you think, and I had never heard anybody express that they hadn't had that. Yes. So you think, gosh, am I abnormal? Am I a bad person? Am I, am I a bad, bad human? 
completely and you think everybody else loves their child and has that huge feeling I didn't have it what's wrong with me were you expressing that to your husband at the time that you weren't feeling the love because this no. interests me mm. in the early days because I'm not mm. sure we no. we voice that no I was talking to him about a lot of things but not that I didn't I didn't say I think even saying that sentence mm. I don't feel I love her felt too big it felt gosh I can't say that out loud not even to my husband who I love very deeply I couldn't admit that even though that's what I felt in, mm. inside what I was worried about mm. I thought when will that feeling come that's what I felt I felt when will it happen for me so the voice was because you talked about the catalogue of failures yes. in the voice but the voice was also saying come on yes when am I going to love you yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> when will I feel like yeah. oh I love this little yeah, baby yeah. and when we think about it logically why would we love something that's torturing our ears <laughs> exactly and that we and feel, our body and our body <laughs> yes. and that we feel cannot, and tortured our body through that birth exactly and it sounds like quite a brutal choice of words but but it, it was a torturous experience it for was you. yeah and you were handing over to your mum, and as you quite rightly said, this your mum being able to settle her because she hadn't been through the birth no. and she didn't have all the hormones. Exactly. And, but it was reinforcing, oh, mum can do it and I can't. Exactly right, exactly right. So you weren't able to express this um, feeling of, I don't love her. And I'm imagining, I'm, I'm right back there, your mood is dipping, Sam. You're quickly, you're yes. Quickly yes. dipping here. Yeah. And how did that manifest? Was it was it tears? Was it shouting? Was it? Um, it was a lot of crying, a lot of those real heartfelt sobs of just, you know, yeah, just utter bereft, really, of just I I don't like this feeling. I don't like who I am. I don't like the situation I'm in. And it was it was hours and hours and hours of crying. And, and I just remember feeling, I can remember so clearly sitting on the spare room bed and just saying, I can't do it. And just sitting there sobbing, going, I can't do it, I can't do it. And my mum telling me, you've got to. You have to. You've just got to get on with it. You've just got to pull yourself together and get on with it. And I can remember feeling, I don't think you get it, mum. I don't think I can. Did your mum suffer with postnatal depression? No, she didn't. And actually, I've talked to her about this. She has a hard time accepting any sort of um, depression or anxiety or anything like that. She's very much stiff upper lip stoicism. My mum's the same. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, I think it was frightening for her watching yeah. her daughter be like that because she, again, she'd never seen that. She couldn't make it okay. No, Sam. That's you. a huge thing. I think realizing now with my girls being a bit older, I can see you just want to fix it. You just want to make it better, and she couldn't. And she, and she told her reaction to that was, "Come on, we're going to just get out for the day, or we're just going to, you know, do this or keep going." And so again, that was another message of I can't be. I can't be who I want to be at the minute. I have to just put on this nice. mask and, and be what she wants me to be. I can't be vulnerable. I can't be vulnerable, no. Because she didn't know how to cope with that. And so no. I couldn't put that on her. No. And even yeah. though you said at the beginning, I needed my mum there. Yeah, I did. my husband. Yes. And I needed my mum there. Yeah. And in practical ways, she was probably very useful. Oh, gosh, she was very useful. Very useful. But emotionally, you were on your own. I was. Yeah. I was, my husband obviously could see that I wasn't the person he knew, 
Um, we'd been together for seven or eight years before we had this baby, and he knew that that wasn't me. Mm. I, he, he didn't recognise me. And, of course, he was dealing with my daughter a lot as well because I, I literally was detached. I, physically, emotionally, mentally, I was not connected to her at all. So he took on that mantle and was loving her and holding her and all those sorts of things that I just wasn't capable of at that time. That must have been hard too, though, because yeah. you were watching your husband yes. do that. And I imagine that brought up feelings as well that of, yeah. I don't know, I mean, guilt or, I don't know, just, or maybe it was relief. Maybe it was, it was just that's power. The word. That was in my head. It was relief. Yeah. I didn't care. Take her away. Take her away. I don't have she's uh she's not for me it was a feeling of i just need to walk away that she's much better with people who are good with her oh. i i just need to let them do it i i'm not part of this no. i can't be part of I it can't. it's not working exactly how far did those thoughts go sam with you yeah very far um i often would in my head would think i just gonna run away and I would have those flight thoughts a lot. And often, probably four or five times in those first six weeks, I would actually pick up the car keys and I would say to my husband, right, I'm off, I'm going, you're better off without me. So it was, it was quite severe. What stopped that? Um, well, he wouldn't let me leave. Oh, <laughs> I think partly because, partly because he's thinking, I'm not doing it on my own. <laughs> you can't leave me with this crying baby. Uh, and partly because I think his voice of saying, I can't let you leave like this. What I don't know what you'll do. That well, must... your safety. Yes, yes. my safety. That's exactly it. He, he, well, I wasn't fit to drive because I was crying and crying and crying. I couldn't see the road, let alone, you know, yeah. make any informed choices or yeah. decisions. So he would just hold me and sit next to me and talk to me and say, you know, it's getting better. It is getting better. She's feeding better. Or... And he was encouraging me and just supporting me, really, emotionally. He would just say, I know it's difficult, but we've got this person or we've got this advice or we can read this book and just be... He would be the voice of reason. The voice of reason. He yeah. brought that that yeah. logical part in. Absolutely, which you just don't have. You don't have it, no. Sam, do you? And no. I, this is not the, at all. You know, when we reflect back, the women I've spoken to, they say, you know, it seems so illogical now. Yes. It seems like I'm, you know, I'm a professional person, yes. I'm a successful woman. Yeah. And yet <laughs> here I am. I can't do this. I can't do it. No. Absolutely. And I think you just feel. Um, I think for me there was just it was the loss of control yeah you know I think when you're a professional person you've had quite a successful career you you manage large groups of people like I had um you think gosh I can't be not able to do this I, I can run a whole team of people yeah. um but I can't manage one tiny yeah. baby that's so common yes and so surprising as a mother when it you're, is. you know, sometimes perfectionist or you're yes. working yes. and you have a small baby and you yeah. can't deal with it. No, exactly. And, you know, of course, it's different because you've got the hormones, you've got, yes. you know, the pressures, yes. the expectations. Yeah. So your husband was this lovely voice of reason. He was. He was there. And uh, there must have come a point where you said... I need to get some professional help or I need to speak to somebody else. Yeah, I think that was a bit strange for me because 
I don't think, I haven't had any experience of even the name postnatal depression really. I, I wasn't really, it was in, in my vocabulary or my remit. And so when I was experiencing all this, I never really joined the dots and thought, oh, I need somebody to help me. Uh, I didn't really think. I was speaking to my sister every day and that was a, a sort of sisterly support and I was doing that because she'd had three children. I just needed advice. So I was speaking to her and, and she knew how I was feeling. Uh, I would, I mean, days and days and days of conversations where essentially I couldn't be heard because I was crying that hard, but she would just talk down the phone. She was about 45 minutes away in the car, but she had three young children, so she couldn't come over all the time, mm. but she was talking to me. So I guess she was an outlet for me, but I never really thought, oh, I need to get proper help here. Well, it would join me up the dots because like, one of my questions was going to be, had you heard of postnatal depression no. and did you even know what it was? And you've answered that for me. Yeah, not at all. Not, not at, all. at all. I hadn't really... No, it wasn't something that had ever entered my, my sort of sphere of understanding, I don't think. So, did your sister say, or did you say, go to the doctor, or tell the midwife, or what was the process? Um, so, actually, how it worked out was, um, I had my checkup at about nine weeks, ten weeks. Um, so, this had been going on for quite a long time. And the health visitor at the time, you have to fill out the questionnaire uh, at that checkup. And I'd filled it out honestly and, and said how I was feeling. And the last question on the questionnaire is about suicide. Have you had any suicidal thoughts or anything like that? And, and I'd put never. But when we were chatting through the answers to that questionnaire, I told her that I often wanted to run away. And she immediately, she changed. And she said, she said, that worries me. She said, that worries me a lot. I'd like you to go and see the doctor. And I was like, what? I don't understand what you mean. But, but she explained it to me as, although suicide is a very severe and, and, and thing, she said, the, the feeling of wanting to remove yourself is an alarm bell. Yes. And that's how she explained it to me. She said, no, it's not uh, final, but it's still quite severe. It's but quite a big signal. It's a big signal. So she, she referred me straight away to the GP and I went to, went to see the GP and, and um, we had a good long chat and I was quite honest about how I'd felt and, and they explained to me what had happened and how, why I was feeling like that and, and it, it, it made sense. It made sense, yeah. but, but did it bring relief or anxiety because this is um, the thing? Yeah, it brought a bit of a mixture of both really. I think I did feel relief that, oh, this isn't... I'm not the only one who's, who suffers from this. This has happened to other women. This is a thing. This is a real thing. And there's power in a label. I know the label can't solve it, but there is power in knowing that, okay, this is what, where we're at and we can do something. Yes, now. exactly. There are strategies for coping. There are ways of dealing with it. And they offered me some, some sessions, counselling sessions, which in the end I didn't actually end up taking and that's one of my big regrets actually that I didn't actually go down that, that route and that was because because we were reaching the 12 week mark by this point with, with my daughter um, of course she was much more settled, she was in a routine, she was feeding happily, she was sleeping happily but oh it's okay. The timing was just it was not really right. Bad, <laughs> oh, really bad. You could have done with that I six weeks before. I could have definitely and I think that's something uh, that actually I would 
you know, I hope that now we're more aware that people perhaps need earlier yeah. checkups and, and conversations. I think that's absolutely right because mm -hmm. the counselling is needed to normalise the experience yeah, definitely at the time yeah. and there you were 12 weeks actually you were coming back out the other side I was, I was. because you felt you had more control at that point yeah definitely and, and actually what had happened was um, with some guidance from my sister we'd established um, a routine very, she'd spent the day with me and she's, she'd observed me and, and the baby. And she said, I just think you want some clear boundaries and some clear routines, which is so obvious, isn't it? Oh. But with a baby, it's so hard to, to do. You can't see for the you, trees. You cannot. So we established a strong routine every day, which because she was a bit older, we could. Um, and so that feeling of control was coming back. And she would, you know... We, had, we knew we had to feed her and then she had to have a play and she could have a little sleep and then some fresh air and there was all this feeling of, of it's okay, I can see that it's a, a doable thing, I can manage. I can do this. Yeah, I can do it. And it was about, uh, and again another piece of really good advice that I was given was don't think of the whole day. A day is a very long time when you have a small baby. 24 hours in a week. <laughs> it is. It is. It, it literally feels like that. And every day you would wake up in the morning thinking, I can't do this there again. I can't, but actually, repeat, yeah. I can't repeat it. But actually, when you break that day down into smaller chunks and you celebrate, oh yeah, we had a good two or three hours, then you can start to feed that positive voice again. Because that's so important to say, I did it. I did, that bit. Yes. I did it on my own, or yes. I, I got out, or yes. she didn't cry constantly. Yes. You know, even small wins. Small wins. I learnt to celebrate small wins. That's amazing because I can remember back to my first child, and I remember the GP saying, Look, just go out and buy a pint of milk. Yes. Even if you don't need milk, yes. just go out and buy one exactly. to say that you've gone, you've gone into the shop, you've got it, you've yes. gone home and you've achieved something. Definitely. And I remember the GP, the same thing. My GP, as soon as I did go to the GP, said, please, please, please get up, shower and get dressed. Just get that done and you will feel different. Yes. And that was so true. Because the night rolls into the day and the oh, day rolls into the night. Exactly. And there's no sense of... Pride in self no, or, or... Exactly right, exactly right. And, or, or feeling, you know, good in yourself. Yeah. Because actually there's a huge power in that, I think, for, for people. But I think particularly for women, feeling like, oh, I, I, I've, I'm me, I've put on my clothes, I've, I've done what I need to do for me for today. I'm Sam. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly right. I'm not just this hamster on a wheel doing what needs to be done. This feeding machine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you, you were getting better. I was, yeah. And you were coming out of the side and you didn't have the counselling in the end. But not you, in the end. You wished you had. I it's, do. A, it's a reflection. Yeah. Um, so anyone listening to this might think, actually, I will take yes. off the offer of counselling. Yeah, definitely. It comes definitely. Up. Um, so then you started noticing improvements, and did your mood pick up some naturally from then on in? It did, it did, yeah, definitely. Um, there were still days where I felt that sense of panic or, you know, some of those feelings coming back. But overall, I could find good things, I could find positives. Um, I could think, oh yeah, that was nice, I enjoyed that. Because that's a, a big question, is it? Do you feel any joy? Ah, yes. I didn't feel any joy in those early weeks at all. Literally none in anything. Well, you described the disconnect. Yes. Which, there is no joy. It's like no. when you numb out a feeling of pain and distress, yeah. 
you can't selectively numb, so everything gets numb. That's right, that's right. Very much so. So you felt, I'm starting to reconnect, I noticed a nice thing there, or I laughed yes, at something. Exactly. And then it starts coming back. Yeah. So you got through it. We did. You got your little girl. And then you had another daughter. I did, quite quickly. <laughs> How quickly? Um, so I found out I was pregnant with her when my first daughter was 15 months old. So, yeah, it was quite quick after. Was that obviously not planned? Not planned. You weren't expecting? No, not planned. That was a bit of a shock. <laughs> that was going to be my question. Yeah. When we've gone through something like that with the first child, yeah. often there is a very big fear with yes. women that this is going to happen again. Yes, very much. So you find out at 15 months, your, your yeah. first daughter that you're expecting... Yeah. Did that run through your head? Absolutely it did. And not just in my head. I remember having a conversation with my husband and he said, I'm really worried. I'm really worried that you're not, you know, that I'm going to lose you again. Those were his words. I can remember oh. them. That, you know, I just don't know how you're going to be. And that frightened him. And it frightened me. I thought, gosh, you know. And because you've been through it once, it's almost more frightening. Because mm. you don't like that feeling of, gosh, am I going to... What am I going to be like? Because you've lived it, you can you, imagine. You can imagine. You can imagine it, because with the Absolutely. first one, you didn't know no. the depression, you'd, Not you'd never known anyone gone through it. Exactly. So here you are, and so we'll jump forward a little bit. Yes. Did it happen? It did, it did, but it wasn't as severe. Right. Um, and I, I've thought about that a lot, and I think it's because uh, I knew that that first six to eight weeks which is hard for all mums no yes. matter what they say it is hard tough time. it's tough time i knew it would end that feeling of they will settle to to uh feeding they will learn to sleep a bit longer each month yes. so there was a light at the end of the tunnel which i never knew at my first my, with my first i did i just thought this was how it's always going to be and i was never going to feel like myself again yes you couldn't imagine the progress not happening at all, not at all and of course my second daughter was a very different baby and that of course again that's another thing you just think babies are babies you think they're all the same they think they're all the same but she was a very different baby and so that did uh, sort of allay my fears as soon as she came really I thought, oh gosh, this isn't quite how it was before. Yeah. And so again, you start to, that, you relax. That's what it is. You just feel like, like, yes, she's okay. She's feeding nicely. She's doing this. And, and you feel more relaxed. But it reinforces that you've got it because yeah. the first time it wasn't going well, the evidence was all there. Yes, it's not going well. The feeding's not going well. Exactly. The birth was traumatic. No, yeah. And it was traumatic. And, and you know, it people was. say trauma is a strong word, but it was a traumatic start. Yeah, definitely. So the second one, and you're actually surprising yourself. You go, no, it's not as bad. Exactly. I know this is going to change at six to eight, eight weeks. weeks. Yeah. So you got through, so you had a lower, le lower level... Lower level, definitely. Of low definitely. mood, anxiety. Yeah, I still cried a bit, but, but I think it was what you would put in within a, within a normal bracket, I yeah. would say. Um, I think all new mums experience those mood swings because of hormones and, and because of what you've been through, you know, physically. Physically. Um, so, yeah, but I did, I did still find myself having that inner voice of failure and, you know, what-ifs those sorts of things, but it was more, it was low level, yeah, it wasn't nearly as severe the second time. And that must have been a relief for you and your husband together. It was, together. Yeah, definitely. And he was there, and he knew what to do, yes. he'd been through it before, yeah, and he definitely. was like, we'll get through it. Yes. 
if you were, I mean, this is obviously going to go out and people yeah. are going to be listening to this who are maybe pregnant, yes. who maybe just in the early days. Exactly. Or who are even planning having a family. Yeah, definitely. And you've said a couple of things that you would have done differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just can't do anything different. No, to what, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. But what would you say to new mothers who are either struggling or fearful that this is going to happen? What would you advise? Yeah, I mean, I think what's so important is to is to understand that this there's there isn't a perfect model, and there isn't we we all compare all the time in our daily lives, and I think particularly in this day and age, we 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 put people on pedestals, or we we look at other people and think oh, they've got it all sorted. We look at social media. We look at social media, and we say. Oh, Look, she loves her life. She loves what she's doing. She loves her baby. But I would say, you know, I think everybody has times when they find it difficult, even those mums who are very lucky and it comes naturally and it's all good. And I would say try to be honest if you can. It's very, You have to be courageous. You have to kind of put yourself out there. But try and be honest and say, oh, I'm having quite a hard time, actually. And, and how did you feel? And, and ask questions and... And if you haven't got people around you who you feel able to do that with, then do talk to your health visitor or your doctor or someone who who will be able to help you and say, actually, no, it's perfectly normal. To normalise the feelings. Absolutely, to normalise. Because mine was, I just felt shame. A huge sense of shame and I can't tell. And even my cousin, who, I was, who I'm very close to, I grew up with, you know, when I saw her, I'd put on my best clothes, I'd put on my makeup, everything. I just had to pretend. The mask goes the on. The mask goes on. And, and I think, you know, I just think if you can normalise it and say, actually, um, it's different for everybody. That's I think that's my biggest thing is not everybody will experience what you've experienced, but they will have experienced something else. Some element of it. Exactly. Exactly. I remember a health visitor once saying that when they turn up, they expect chaos. They yes, expect your yes. hair to be a mess and exactly. everything. And when they turn up and everyone's immaculate yes. and the house is tidy, they get worried. The alarm bells ring. The alarm yes, bells ring. definitely. Because they do expect a degree of, of struggle. They, they yeah. do this day in, day out. And one of the, the questions I was asked a lot was, well, if I tell anybody my baby's going to be taken away. Yeah, and that is a big fear, I think, because I think you think, if if people think you're not coping, what will happen? And I, I just think, um, and, and I remember one of the, the, the health visitors saying to me, because I remember saying to her, she just won't stop crying. And that can be hard to listen to oh. for long periods of time. Well, they use that as torture. Some, they do. Some military exercises. <laughs> they do. And she said to me, put her in her Moses basket, you know, somewhere safe. She's, you know, she's okay. And just close the door for five minutes, ten minutes. She will be okay. Yes, she'll be crying and, and she might get distressed. But you need just that five minutes just to recenter yourself or to... to to, to get five minutes fresh air or to sit and have a coffee, whatever it is, and she will be okay. And I think that's such a powerful thing because I think that you, you that five minutes can make a big difference to, to how you can cope with your day and, and, and how you can cope with that hour. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that it's important to 
to keep everything sort of in perspective, but it's very difficult when your strong feelings are raging inside oh, you. When you're, when, yes, that's the, raging inside you is raging. a good expression. Oh, gosh. And you need the voice of reason, or you were lucky to have your I husband was very there. Lucky. But as you said, speak to your doctor, speak to your GP, yeah. speak to your midwife. Absolutely. The health visitor, who will, who will normalise this for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, because they don't take children away from mothers no. unless they're severe, no, severe. <laughs> things because they want to support you to mother. They do, they do. And it is a, it is a learning process. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that's where I really, one of my biggest sort of voices inside was I just had this voice going, everybody in my family is good at it. Mm. They, they were all lovely mums straight away. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah, and we That's... never know the backstory, Sam. We never know. No. You know, I don't actually think I ever asked my mum or my granny who had seven children, how was it for you in those early days? We just think, looking at them, oh, they had it sorted. We they presume. Loved it. We presume. We and actually, it's not true. It's not true. And I think that's a lovely point to finish on, yes. is to say that never presume. Never. That, that you're, you're the only one feeling it. Completely. Um, you're definitely not. You're definitely not. <laughs> you're definitely not. And I say with clients in here, do you know what? Everyone else is feeling this. You, yes. They might not be sharing it together. Exactly. And I want to thank you, Sam, for sharing this today. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, it's so important that people hear it, normalise it, and know that they're not alone. So definitely. thank you. A huge thank you to Sam for that amazing and open and vulnerable interview. And I wanted to highlight an organisation that is very supportive in this field called Pandas um, Postnatal uh, Depression Awareness and Support. Their free helpline number is 0808 1961 double seven six. You can also find them online and it's a free helpline. It's available from 11am till 10pm every day. And they can signpost you and help you to consider whether you're suffering from postnatal depression. And also you can, of course, visit your GP or mention to your health visitor or your midwife. Please don't suffer alone. It's something that does pass with support and just look after you. Thanks for listening.